Home campaign and depicts 15 Americans who are either held hostage or wrongfully detained in foreign prisons, including three from the Houston area. The new mural can be seen on an exterior wall at the Lightbulbs Unlimited building in Montrose. Support this local newscast and this station now by going to kpft.org and becoming a member. Thanks for tuning in. For KPFT News, I'm Elise Bench. Hi, I'm Al Staheli, and you're listening to KPFT Houston 90.1. Looking out a dirty old window, down below the cars in the city go rushing by. I sit here alone and I wonder why Friday night and everyone's home I can feel the heat but it's soothing heading down I search for the beat in this dirty town Downtown the young without going Downtown the young without going With the kids in America With the kids in America Welcome, welcome to Growing Up in America. I hope everyone's doing well. Bob Sanborn here, Dr. Bob with Claire the Way Dutre. Claire, <laughs> Claire how are you doing today? I'm good. Sorry to all the listeners. I've been gone. I've been having everyone at the edge of their seat hearing you know, my voice. You know, and everyone's been demanding you, Claire. It's, I know. I've seen the write-ins. I've seen the tweets. So Don't like, worry. Where is Claire the Way <laughs> Dutre? So, uh, anyway, so we have good. a great show for you today, and... Uh, we're ready to get going. Welcome to Growing Up in America here on KPFT Pacifica Radio. This is a production of Children at Risk, the voice for the children of Texas. And we're a nonprofit dedicated to research, public policy, law, and collaborative action on behalf of the youth of Texas. Claire, we have a great program today. So good. So good. We waited till I was back to have some cool hosts on. Very good. We have our date of the day. We have our thumbs up, thumbs down. The date of the day, $3 million. Three million. This is a perfect number. So we know that there's about eight million kids. So three million of that, eight million in the state of Texas. Right. So about three million, maybe about a third, a little more than a third. What do you think? Why don't you put it like that? A little Um, more than a third are under the age of five. Maybe that's it, huh? That's a good one. Maybe I have terrible guesses every week. Three million children are prepared for the next grade of the upcoming school year. Okay, there you go. I would, that be, would, be... I would hope it's bigger. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll get to that date of the day in a little bit. Uh, we also have our regular segment, Hip Speak with BQ. This is our inside look at Gen Z <laughs> dialogue and slang. So uh, need that. Becky Quintanilla is in the studio with us today. Uh, Linda Corchado from El Paso. She's going to be doing our Borderlands update, what's going on on the border. Uh, Jason Sabo is here from uh, Under the Dome, uh, up at the state capitol. We're going to talk about some of the legislation. And we'll finish up with uh, Kevin Hattery, who is the CEO of Boys and Girls Club in Houston, talking about a little bit about what they've been up to. And Claire, uh, were you on vacation? Is that Was that the deal? Where have sure. you been? I've, I've been all over the world. You were and in by New the York world, City, right? I mean New York City. You were yes. in New York City. How was that trip, by the way? It was fantastic. I feel... I feel like it's. I'm wrong to say that Houston doesn't have the little communities of New York because maybe I'm not delving into the Houston yeah. art scene. But everyone in New York is just all on so many different pathways and stories. And so just meeting people is so fun. Everyone's very, well, not everyone. Most people are very welcoming. You yeah. always find something to do. It was cool. So a lot of friends. Love New York. I love New York. You know, that's where I went to college. So I always love going to New York. So I know. Ate yeah. some great food. Not Southern food, but some good food. <laughs> It was very good. All right. So uh, first up, uh, thumbs up, thumbs down. Let's do a little bit of uh, intro music. Dime como hacemos Si tú me deseas Yo a ti también Hacer a tu te quiero comer Di que vas a hacer Así que ponme un dembow Que se no respeta Right. Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down. What are we talking about today, Claire? We are talking about reins for toddlers. Reins for toddlers, like <laughs> yeah, uh, like, like a leash, like a leash for toddlers. <laughs> and we're going to let you join the conversation if you want to go to our Instagram story at 
children at risk. Uh, you can vote to see whether you love those leashes for toddlers or whether you hate okay. those leashes for toddlers. What are you thinking, uh, Claire? Are you like are you thumbs up on leashes for toddlers? I, I've never had a child, but I've watched many a children, and I do know they they like to run, they like to scatter. However, I I do not like it when did they surge while you were a parent while your kid was still young, or was no, that after? No, we saw them just from time to time, and we sort of laughed at them. Right, uh, right, because they I, yank on those toddler leashes. But they're pretty popular now, though, right? We see them I a lot. I know, I know. I also see something different that I think is less restraining, What's where that? it's the like string of rings that teachers use. But this is if you have, of course, more than three children, and they hold on to the ring from each side, and so they have control of holding on, but you still have everyone in that line. Um, but as far yeah. as I know, these leashes or reins for kids... <laughs> Uh, they're pretty much used exclusively by parents that are sort of going out in public mm-hmm. and they have like a, the zoo amusement a hyperactive child and that, that gets into trouble, right? Those little kids that run all over the place. What, where I wouldn't be in favor of them is like at home, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, in the front <laughs> yard, Johnny, <laughs> we're going to put Johnny on the leash outside in the front yard. No, you know, I, know. I don't see that happening, right? No, no. I see it at amusement parks and it'll be like attached to a little backpack that looks like a frog. And I get it because kids can run off. It's scary in big public crowds. But I, I see parents yanking on those leashes. Yeah. Um, and so you don't like the visual. I don't. I don't. It's kind of oddly animalistic. But I also understand that when you hold their hand and you're pulling, it could hurt their shoulder. So maybe it's an oh, alternative. I, I yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to probably be pulling pretty hard. But um, yeah, trying to hold their hands plus their hand can slip quickly. Whereas I guess a leash, they can't slip away very quickly. But I don't know. If you had a child in the 2023 year, would you leash them on public crowds? Well, that sounds interesting. Yeah, I'm going to say <laughs> thumbs thumb. You know what? Parent, parents have a down. tough time. I'm going to say thumbs I up. Know. I mean, I'm okay as long as it's not abused. I mean, yeah, yeah, you yeah. need to give parents sort of an option. But the visuals are horrible, right? I mean, no, no. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, no. I I don't know. I would say thumbs down now. But I also, like you said have empathy with parents and yeah. big crowds. I've run off and gotten lost. And You know, I think we did years. this, um, this thumbs up, thumbs down, you know, a number of years back. And I think I was thumbs down because of the visuals of it. But at this point I'm, I, I'm giving yeah. like parents every break possible these days. Yeah, so that's very fair. And then I'm interested to see what our audience thinks on our Instagram at children at risk. Very good. All right. Next up, we're going to do hip speak with BQ. She's making her way into the studio right now. And we'll, that soon. I keep waiting for there to be like lyrics, you know. I think they want you to karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> It's freestyle every yeah. week. Yeah, that's cool. what I like about... I guess oh. that doesn't really uh, work. So Thank we're here you. with BQ. <laughs> Becky Quintanilla is in the studios with us. And uh, this... The, the BQ, right? I mean, we could have DQ be the sponsor. You know, yeah. that's what I like about Becky. I, so. <laughs> I think we could work it out. We're just going to send them a letter, a letter to them, asking them for money and sponsorship. Yeah. If anyone from but DQ is listening. A, but we can't do corporate sponsorship in KPFT, oh, so it would have to be. Yeah. Take just that. free just ice cream, that, maybe. Take that maybe. back. We would, but for We would take cream, it for children at risk. Yeah, for yeah. children at risk. For kids. For kids. Uh, so... Uh, Every once in a while, we bring in Becky Quintanilla, BQ, for this hip speak segment, which I think we used to call Gen Z slang. I think this we've is... millennialed the title to yeah, hip yeah. speak. <laughs> oh, we millennialed it. No, I think we walked in today to the conference room of all the interns, college students, and they oh, came up with, with hip, hip speak. speak. Okay. Yeah. I so this statement. is not millennial. This yeah. is college student I, I would iced. say I was surprised as well. Um, but then again, they're younger than me. We're still the same generation. Maybe hip's but... coming back. I think hip is coming back, right? Hip. Like the hipsters and everything. Yeah, okay. yeah. I'm going to try to. I'm going to drop like, it in the conversation. In the next are looking at me like, yeah, Doctor Bob, that's not right. So. Maybe they're pranking. All right, so uh, you have a series of words. Yep. Hip speak, Gen Z slang, and the idea is that I can guess them. If I can't guess it, Claire gets gets to guess. Though she's. Yep hip herself so I'm she probably hip. knows all of these automatically so bq <laughs> what do you have first okay the first one is per per with multiple r's at the end 
Yeah, like purr. Oh, like super happy. Like like a cat purring. Like I am this is really comfortable. This is really good. You're on the right track. Yeah. Here. Uh I'll give you an example we used mm-hmm. today with the interns. So Trevor was saying, um, I just finished cleaning my data and an intern said, Purr. Purr. Very satisfying, right? Like yeah, I, I agree I guess, with you. Yeah. So the definition of the word yes. is a word that describes when you're happy for someone or you're yourself happy. Like, purr. Purr. I'm purring Someone just like my good. cat. Purr. You don't say purring. You just okay. say purr. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Very good. Very good. Okay, purr. Okay, the other one is, I think it's... You know, the whole one. staff hates this when I learn these oh, words. You know. I've gotten complaints. Yeah. <laughs> so, and um, we hear you and we'll continue. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the next one I think is easy, um, okay. but sleep on. Like I'm going to, uh, let me think about it. Let me marinate <laughs> a little bit on it. Let me sleep. Mm. Is that it? No. Sleep on? No, that's not it at all. Is it? <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm well, on the think... definition wise, probably, but. Use it in a sentence. Okay. Um, don't sleep on therapy. Or don't sleep <laughs> that's on a therapy. very interesting way. I would say like, um. If it's an underrated show, let's say New Girl was underrated, like don't sleep on New Girl. It's a good show. Oh, don't let it pass yeah. you by. So that's yeah. exactly what Claire said. So also it's therapy. something that's underestimated. So okay. don't sleep on therapy, you know? Yeah. Also, uh, a little okay. bit. <laughs> no, no, that was <laughs> perfect. Okay. Don't sleep on Dr. Bob's humor. Well, um, you can guess. <laughs> <laughs> How do I say this nicely? No. Sometimes Dr. Bob's humor is like, you. it's marinated. That's the, you, you got to oh, marinate okay, it. And you're yeah. like, okay. No, that was it's like a funny. dad's humor when per- it's not yeah, trying same, to be funny. Same per to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next one is baddie behavior or baddie. Like, um, oh, like uh, mischievous? Mm, no. No, see, that's the OG term, the original the OG, term. OG, yeah. So it's kind of like describing someone to be independent or like, or oh. this is an old one, slaying the game, slay. slay. Someone who's oh, slaying. Yeah. yeah. It also. You could also use it as like describing something. So, for example, I can describe my handwriting as baddie handwriting because it's a nice handwriting. It's, it's nice. Like, it's independent. Pretty. Oh, so baddie is like good. Yeah. Okay. You're. It's always. It's like the new girl boss. Baddie. Yeah. Someone's gonna hate me for making that. <laughs> oh, okay. Very good. Baddie. This Got one's it. new because Claire didn't know this one. Is okay. That new? Um, baka. Baka. Mm-hmm. With a V? With a K. <laughs> I also thought B-A-K-A. Oh, I have no idea. Yeah, I didn't know this one either, but um, apparently youngsters are using this one a little bit more. Than what is it? It means idiot or fool. Oh, a baka. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Maybe it's short for something. Well, I think it's a Japanese thing, but I think because anime is becoming more yeah. popularized, people yeah. are using it more. So we got baka. a thumbs up from the back. You guys know that, Rico? You know that one, Baka? Oh, and okay, you guys see they the, the control. Well, it's a good thing we don't know, know it because that means we don't know any fools. Yeah, no one's ever told me that. So. <laughs> I think this is to a fun one. Face. I feel okay. like this one would uh, stand. Stand? Yeah, like a stand. S T A N. S T A N. It's a noun, or yeah, I would say it was a noun. Can use it in a sentence, or an, but I feel like we give it away. I don't know. What is that? What is a stand? Um, here, I'll I'll give you. In a sentence. In a def- oh, in a sentence. I am a Mariah Carey stan. Oh, like a fan? Yeah. A stan say, is say, a fan. I'd say it's a little bit more than a fan. Like you're obsessed. Like you ride or die for them. Yeah. Sort of like you are. Taylor Swift, exactly. A Taylor, Taylor Swift <laughs> stan. stan. I'll give you a little bit of background with this. This um, yeah, word I'd love, I'd is a reference to Eminem's song, Stan. Oh. Why did I not know that? Yeah. So that's why I was like, I'm a Mariah Carey stan. Trying to... Stir up the pot a little bit. Wow. Well, that was an interesting artist you chose. She's good, though. Yeah. And, I tried to stir up the and pot. Of this, and BQ, of, of all... <laughs> do you have more, by the way? I have one more. Of all of these words, I mean, are there some that you use that are sort of more regular? Because I know you, you spring purr. some that are sort of coming up. Are there some that are really... Re- do you use purr a lot? I started... So, Rico was the one that introduced me to it. But now I use oh. purr a lot. Yeah. So I've used it a couple of times. And how about, I know that uh, over the week, like eras, you know, I've heard that used a lot more. This is my, you know, radio. Uh, I think that. Who's teaching also, you these? They're <laughs> taking our segment. BQ, oh, BQ okay. gave me eras and that's So, yeah, I think ago. eras yeah, yeah. got popularized with Taylor Swift in her eras mm-hmm. tour. Yeah, I yeah. think so. so yeah. Most things start. She, she, <laughs> she didn't start that. It was, no, eras no, was already no. a phrase and she just took it over. Yeah, she 
she popularized it. Yeah, mm-hmm. She capitalized mm-hmm. off of it. Yeah. What era is this for you, by the way? This BQ? one this is my single era. Putting it oh. out there, guys. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That was a quick. I'm just kidding. Very good. And BQ is a catch, so just saying. Oh, yeah. so. Okay. We will right. do the Bachelorette BQ. Yeah. Yeah, okay. that'd be fun. Uh, children at risk, um, fun Spots. children at risk, and I will do it. Let's let's I'm ne- just kidding. next word. <laughs> um, it's all jokes. Please, guys, don't fire me. Uh, next one is finesse. Well, just someone who's like super smooth, finesse. In a way, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's so shampoo and conditioner. <laughs> uh, it's like hustling. Yeah. So the definition is like the act of stealing, but it could be just like hustling. It's like Riz. Oh. Yeah. Is it like Riz? Finesse is no, like but Riz-y. I feel like I put them. I put them in the same perpendicular area. Yeah, I could see that. But it seems to me that finesse has a little bit more pejorative, like pejorative than uh, than yeah. Riz. Riz isn't manipulative. Well, it right. could be, but it could be. But finesse it's, kind of is. Okay. Yeah. So, so Claire, have you gone out with guys with uh, that were finesse? With well, finesse? I wouldn't say that with Riz. Yeah. Yeah, you have. Yeah. It's just finesse. like basic for me. Yeah, it doesn't wow. take much. I'm immune to it. So. Are you immune I to think it, I finesse? Am. I usually, yeah. yeah, I won't go too much into it, but I don't, it doesn't impress me. Yeah. So, Bucky's a what is it? Hard egg to crack? Yeah, that cold heart. Very good. Hey, for- this is a little bit of uh, hipster speak. Hip speak with BQ. Yep. Very good. Thank you, Becky. Thank you. Cause if you dare, you see the glare Of everyone you burn just to get there It's coming back around And I keep my side of the street clean Alright, next we're going over to El Paso, Texas Linda Corchado is the head of the Texas uh, Immigration Network And the Children's Immigration Network And uh, Linda, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Dr. Bob. How are you? Very good. Hey, how is the weather in El Paso? I'm let me wait, let me guess. Hot and dry. I can breathe, which means I can breathe well. <laughs> like I could do I could run and breathe and it would it wouldn't be that hard. <laughs> Perfect <laughs> I, description I of a weather. <laughs> that could be multiple climates, I yeah, would say. Yeah, yeah. But it's drier in El Paso than it is. I mean, I walked outside today just a it's little boring. bit ago, and it it was like it's steamy. Yeah, and it's gloomy, so it's not fun weather up here. Yeah, yeah, but it's hot. We're not we're not getting cold, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Linda, I wanted to ask you. Uh, you know, I know that when we look at the border, uh, you know, it's been sort of this crisis point uh, for Texas and the nation for a number of months, but it's. It, People don't seem to realize, but this happens every time the heat goes up, uh, the actual number of crossings seems to go down and uh, people are sort of taking it a little easy right now. I mean, what is, is that the reason why we're seeing fewer border crossings right now or fewer people coming across? You know, that's, that's a huge reason why there's always ebbs and flows and, and it's pretty predictable for border communities. Um, you know, now it's just it's just too dangerous for a lot of migrants to try and cross through the desert, for example, the Darien Gap. I mean, it would be deadly at this point. Um, but, you know, there's other things in play, too. The CBP, one app that we've discussed before, Dr. Bob, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of technical issues with that. Um, and the LA Times, they just reported um, many people are, are not eligible for asylum anymore. They're having these fear interviews and the Biden administration created a, a higher standard to pass. And so I, I think that latest numbers like 47% um, are getting through uh, with, with these new standards. So a lot of things are in play that, that are really keeping the numbers low. Linda, for our listeners that may not have a large scope or just see immigration as a headline um, when they open their app. Can you give a general scope of what's happening right now in Texas or national that should have listeners' attention? Well, I think importantly, now that we are processing asylum seekers at the border, that means that a lot of communities across the country are doing some level of of welcoming, right? Um, So I think this is a place where you know, ideally, I I want to live in a world where the border is everywhere. 
that philosophy of welcoming new persons, newcomers, new students to our institutions is, is just part of our daily lives. Um, and so many communities have, have heeded that call. So I think when, when others see what's going on at the border, now there's an intersectionality, right? It's not just an isolated event. This could also impact your community, um, your economies that, that very likely may be needing that um, influx of labor. So, you know, for me, it's also a time to reflect about what all hands on deck means, right? Like that at Children at Risk at the Children's Immigration Network, we're doing enrollment work right now mm. um, because this is going to be a significant season for newcomer students to enroll into our schools in Texas, right? So mm-hmm. we want to make sure that, that students can access free public education. And so that's one way to, to begin. It, it's interesting that you you talk about enrollment and public education because uh, when we look at the the kids in Texas, uh, we know that about a third of the children in Texas are immigrants or children of immigrants. Uh, in the Houston area, mm-hmm. about half of the kids are immigrants or children of immigrants. And Linda, when when we look at how our public schools are dealing with um, the, these these numbers right of uh, new immigrant children uh, some schools some school districts do an excellent job in terms of integrating them uh, and others are just starting to understand what you need to do exactly and I, I think that's why it's so important for us to highlight those models um, that that really go above and beyond to ensure that they're working with with parents, um, that they're working hand in hand to remove barriers. Um, so I think that's what that's what I love about my work is I kind of have this overlay of the land and I can see different issues that are worth isolating to understand better, um, to see, okay, these, these um, school administrators really need an infusion mm. of more financial support, of in- in- translation, interpretation, right, all of these things that to us may not be as significant, but for an immigrant student could be a life changer, right? Like maybe just getting vaccination records translated. If some persons are low income, they might not be able to afford that. But if the school had translation services there, it could make such a huge impact. So, you know, there's small things and big things that that make a difference. Um, But that's, that's what I'm really enjoying right now is seeing the models that really do work and seeing how they could be implemented across the board. Yeah. Even mentioning the language access piece, we work with Ruri Juntos and they were on the radio, I guess a month mm, or so right. back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we were speaking a lot. Um, I, I didn't even know as part of the education system, how little things are translated. One of them being truancy notices sometimes are strictly in English. Um, and so just thinking wow. of, yeah, that burden of, if you yeah. can't understand, yeah. then how are you to follow through in the action? Um, right. And how can we expect parents to engage, right? right? That's so important that parents feel engaged. School systems are, are their number one introduction to American society. So if even things like that aren't being translated, aren't accessible, what are our expectations on the line, right? So these small little adjustments can make a huge difference. You know, Linda, yesterday was uh, uh, July 4th, and it was, uh, you know, the, the nation's birthday. And always on July 4th, we see a bunch of new immigrants being, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, sworn into the country, uh, getting their citizenship. And uh, I also noticed um, uh, the Carnegie Foundation did this big ad, and I think it might have been in the New York Times, where they sort of talked about all the first generation immigrants who were significant leaders in our country. And, uh, you know, and a number of them were, were in Texas and, you know, one of the, the president of Rice university, right. Immigrant from Haiti. Um, and, and there's so many other leaders, uh, in our state, um, that have this background, right. And, uh, and so many times when we talk about immigration, it's all about, and maybe rightfully so. It's all about what's happening on the border and people coming in. And we sort of neglect to talk about sort of the positive impact that immigration, you know, the give us your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. You know, we, we forget that stuff many times when we talk about immigration, yet it's part of the makeup, certainly of our state, uh, certainly of the city in Houston, uh, and and most definitely in our country. 
Right. And it's what's uplifting for our communities as well. Um, you know, it's that kind of mentality of the, the desperation uh, that, that we're like a, a, a burden to the state, for example. It's not the reality at all when you see the, the benefits that immigrant workers have on just the state of Texas, for example. But I, I mean, I love that. I think it's, it's so encouraging also for immigrant children to see ads like that and to be encouraged because there's a lot of negative talk um, about our status and our role in this country. But, you know, those profiles are so important to really keep the focus on what matters. And that's, you know, our history is still alive and well, and we're still contributing to this country and making it better. And what a wonderful way to acknowledge that on the 4th of July. Yeah. You're listening to Growing Up in America. We're talking with the head of the Texas of the Children's Immigration Network at Children at Risk, Linda Corchado in El Paso. Linda, you, you mentioned earlier the Darien Gap. Uh, and uh, you and I are sort of insiders, right? We know what the Darien Gap is, is that if you're coming from uh, Venezuela or Colombia, uh, Ecuador, uh, and, you, and you're and you sort of making the long hike, which these families do, right? You have to, before you can mm-hmm. get into Panama, when you leave Colombia, before you get into Panama, there are no roads. There's this, this mm-hmm. mark of jungle, which is called the Darien Gap, that you have to sort of find pathways through and march through. Uh, have you talked to immigrants about the Darien Gap and sort of their experience there? Oh, yes. I I mean, many of my clients that I represented before as an immigration attorney who were in detention just had the horrific tales of the Darien Gap and what they had to go through. Um, infections, like sleeping in mud, uh, really mm. horrific weather conditions as well. Um, it, rape and, and kidnapping is, is a very common thing around that area. So, I mean, the, the huge sacrifice that persons go through just to get to America, you, you really see they really pay the price in that area in particular. Um, so it, it's really harrowing to hear about their experience. Yeah, you and I were down at the, the Sacred Heart Church in El Paso a couple of weeks ago, and we talked to some of these families that have come from Venezuela and and things have got to be hard when you take your family and you decide you're going to walk from Venezuela maybe hitchhike on a train or be lucky enough to be picked up in a car or a truck and try to make your way to the Texas border but these families were it was sometimes what sometimes months right before they sort of make it from Venezuela to the United States yeah it is um and I think that's why it's so important for communities like El Paso to set the stage and and to welcome people like this who've just gone through these sorts of experience, but so determined um, to come here, flee persecution, flee really dangerous conditions for their families, um, and and live in safety in the U.S. So I'm I'm always reassured that knowing especially what their experience is like to then counter that experience with a welcoming attitude. Um, here in El Paso along the border, it's really important. It, and it, it highlights, you know, those American values that I think are important and that we celebrated yesterday. Yeah, very good. Uh, Linda, our final question, uh, how are the fireworks in El Paso? Did a lot of fireworks on 4th of July? Yes. I actually, I live in the desert, so my, my dog had to sleep with Grandma last night because it was, it was like being on a war zone. Um, but a lot of tons of fireworks, Dr. Bob. <laughs> yeah. Our, our dog last How night, Yeah, our dog, it, it was she very went? tough. Penny Lane had a really? very tough time with all the fireworks oh, because... You know, we're near downtown, and so the fireworks keep going. For like hours, it felt like. Midnight, 1 o'clock, there were still oh. fireworks going on. So it was, it seemed wilder last night than it's been in a while. So yeah, maybe yeah. people celebrating no pandemic. I was forth. right by Freedom Over Texas. Oh, I you were? a block away, so I How were the fireworks hours. at your place? Uh, I, I'm in like a cone of my apartment, so I couldn't physically see them, but I oh, heard yeah. them for a good 45 minutes, mm. yeah, which was wow. nice. Yeah. Wow. Oh. Anyway, very good. What did you do for Penny? Penny Lane, she just she stayed in our bed and she got up and down, up and down, and so it was very tough. Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. With so doggy headphones. Yeah. Well, we got through it. Yeah. <laughs> Linda Cortado with the Children's Immigration Network. Thank you so much, Linda. Take care. Thanks for being on Growing Up in America.
Thank you. All righty. Take care. You're listening to Growing Up in America, Pacifica Radio, KPFT, Houston. All right, you're listening to Growing Up in America. On the line with us, Layla Mazzali, who's the head of the Center for Social Measurement and Evaluation. Uh, Layla, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are y'all? Very good, very good. And how's the weather in California, Layla? (laughs) Sunny and mild. Oh, man. (laughs) Man. If it weren't the radio, I'd be swearing at you, Layla. I'm just saying. (laughs) So... uh, so the number today is 3 million, and we've been trying to figure out what 3 million means. We just thought it was some portion of kids in Texas. Uh, what is what is 3 million, Layla? So it is a, a, a fair portion of kids in Texas. It's the number of children in Texas who rely on free or reduced cost school meals to make sure that they're getting adequate nutrition. Wow. So that's a lot of, when you think about kids just in the public school system, right? With, with, that's about a little less than 5 million kids. And so 3 million, 60, 65% of the kids that are in our public schools are qualifying for free and reduced school lunch. It means they're coming from right. low-income families. Uh, that's significant, Layla. Yeah. I mean, it's a ton of, it's a ton of kids. It's more than half. It's the majority of the children in the public school system. Um, so yeah. And then when we think about it being summertime, um, we need to make sure that those kids are getting, getting fed and getting the nutrition that they need. It's interesting, right? When we talk to people at food banks and we talk specifically about this, they always say, uh, you know, you get the support of the community at Thanksgiving and during the holiday Mm -hmm. season, but the time that kids are most hungry is summertime. Summertime. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's true. I think, you know, being able to support food banks, doing everything you can to support everyone in the community, getting the nutrition that they need. Um, but schools themselves, you know, have a big role to play in this. Um, there is a huge amount of need, um, but participation in summer meal programs doesn't really mirror the need. Um, so what we see is certain districts being really creative and making sure that they're getting meals to families because, of course, when kids are coming to school during the school year, they have bus transport. They have all of these things in place that help them get to school, help them get fed. In the summertime, a lot of that is taken away. So even if schools are offering meals, kids don't have access to them in the same way. Um, So, yeah, districts have to go the extra mile, too, to get really creative and making sure that kids are getting their meals. I know you have an example, but it's just, it's so important to highlight these districts thinking about 3 million children relying on schools for their meal. And like you said, two months is a long time for children to rely on that meal if the district is not being innovative. Um, But I'll let you highlight one district I know you have for their summer meal program. Yeah, I mean, Rio Grande City, CISD, um, always doing a great job. Um, They used buses to drop off two days worth of meals, three days a week. So three times a week, batch meals, making sure that kids were getting six days worth of meals. um, And that really upped participation. Um, And it's great to celebrate these districts, but it's also important to note that the USDA is pretty delayed in approving extending budgets and different programs that allow for that type of flexibility. So districts do have to go through a fair amount of red tape to get students their meals. Um, So huge commendation to the Rio Grande City CISD. And also districts do have obstacles that they're facing and being able to do programs like that. It's interesting, though, that during the pandemic, it seemed like you know, the, the, the U.S. Department of Agriculture waived a lot of the red tape. Right. Uh, school districts went above and beyond things that they would normally do. And we actually fed, and food banks engaged in this, we actually fed more kids than we would usually have done wow. uh, without the pandemic. It's, it's just amazing when everyone works together and you sort of wave some of the red tape, so many things are possible, Layla. 
It is. It's true. And so, you know, all the success we saw during the pandemic era, a lot of that's getting cut back now. But so many things, if they continued to be extended, would go so much further in serving our neediest kids. Um, And, you know, expanded budgets, different programs that waive some of that bureaucracy. Um, Some of those programs cost nothing to keep around. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other interesting thing is that uh, the USDA has waived a lot of red tape sometimes. And like, for instance, on school breakfast, yet there are many school districts that still don't take advantage of uh, getting more school breakfast or right. adjusting their hours or the delivery system so that more kids get food. It's it's sort of a travesty when you look across Texas. You know, we legislatively, we mandated uh, that school breakfast be served because there were so many districts that weren't doing it. Now they're doing it, but sometimes it's a lackluster Accessible. effort. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to see more more school districts take action because it, it's cool and exciting to when school districts provide the wraparound services and fill the basic needs that students may not have outside of the school system. Layla Mazzali is the director of the Center for Social Measurement and Evaluation at Children at Risk. Thank you, Layla, for being on the program. All right. Very good. She had a slow we, we, we exit. Slow <laughs> exit from Layla, just slinking She likes to keep it mysterious. Yeah, her phone I'm probably. leaving now. So I know. Maybe good. the sun in California <laughs> snatched her surface. <laughs> I think we switched it up a little bit on the music, Yeah, right? that kind of took me for surprise. I've not heard fun. that song. Yeah. Is that like Portuguese or something? Do we know anyone back there? Portuguese? Said, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Okay. But, I don't know if but it's Rico true. doesn't really know. He's no. just like, oh, he does. He knows. Okay, he yeah. says he knows. We'll get the lowdown after. So that's good. Uh, up next on the program, we have uh, uh, from Frontera Strategies up in Austin, under the dome, Jason Sabo, our man at the Capitol. Jason, how you been doing, man? Uh, great. And you guys don't know the Tribalistas? That is Chassé Namorar, which is like oh. one of the best Brazilian songs of the last 10 years. Was that a oh. request? <laughs> it was a total request. Oh, then that was, we love it. <laughs> we we love that, Jason. We love that music. And it sounded vaguely familiar. And so uh, <laughs> one of the most popular songs of the last 10 years. Obviously, I've not been to Brazil in the last 10 years. So Staff retreat to Brazil is what he's there saying. You go. Jason, do you spend a lot of time in Brazil? I've been there a few times, not as much time. I don't think it's possible to spend enough time in Brazil. Personally, mm. but I've never it. been. I've actually never been to Brazil. So one of the countries I've not been to. So uh, I'm going to put that down right after Argentina. That's where I really want to go next. Because so. you could go, you could easily do both. You could take a bus between the two. There you go. Mm, nice. Yeah, Add it to the list and listen to that song on the way. And no Darien Gap in between the two. So <laughs> you just you're able to just no. go right between the Jason, um, We've had a very interesting legislative session, and the hits just keep on coming from the governor. Uh, and so I'm wondering, uh, when you look at this last legislative session, are there some bills that you really think, yeah, those are, those are pretty great, those are pretty interesting? There are, but before we jump in Yes, yes, it, go on, today, go on, yeah. If I could, uh, this has been a pretty sad week at the Texas legislature, uh, and I think that given the fact that this is a Houston radio show, I would like to take a moment to remember a really wonderful woman that we lost this week to Moria Jones, who was the chief of staff for State Representative Harold Dutton, longtime Capitol staffer who passed this week, shockingly. And uh, one of the few black chiefs of staff, one of the very few female black chiefs of staff in my 20 years of working at the legislature, a huge loss for a lot of us and a huge loss for Houston, a huge loss for Texas kids. She was a real fierce advocate for children, served as the committee director for the House Public Education Committee for a while, and she's been around for quite some time and just want to just put out there that I'm thinking about her, thinking about her family and thinking about 
everyone in Houston who knew and loved her. Well, so, and we're all thinking about Tamoria was was exceptionally young too, right? I mean, I, she was like in her early thirties and mid thirties, yeah. And such a big advocate for kids. She was a go to person when we go to Austin and when we look for our allies amongst the state legislative uh, chiefs of staff. She was one of the first go to people, right? She was really there for kids and families in Texas. She was, and she was one of those people that I respected a lot because she didn't always say the popular thing. She didn't always do the popular thing. She did what she believed, what her heart told her was, was the right thing to do. And not enough, not, not enough people kind of approach it that way. It's a much more of a get along to get along kind of place. And she was one of those people who was willing to be a fierce advocate for what she believed in, even when it wasn't a popular thing to do. So it's a loss. There, there, have, there hasn't been a lot of news about her. I mean, someone so young and so influential, I just haven't seen enough about her. Um, is there a reason I, I for that, agree. Jason? I hope, I hope, I don't know, but I do hope that she gets the, the recognition okay. and the memory that, that she does so richly deserve. Tamoria Jones, the uh, chief of staff from Harold Dutton. Uh, we're sorry to see her go. Um, and moving on to, uh, the state yeah. legislative session, uh, what pieces of legislation are you proud of? Which ones you're still looking at? What are you what What are you seeing, Jason? Well, when I'm thinking about things that that I'm proud of, I think it's important to think about things that all of the people of Texas should be proud of. Mm. Some really important things happened this session that that I think people need to that might not have like been as top of mind for a lot of folks, but are going to have a uh, real resonance going forward. Things like the Crown Act which yeah. uh, a lot of people might not have been aware of. And I give huge credit to Sharon Jones from Children at Risk for her months and months and months of hard work helping to pass that bill, which made sure that people were able to have their natural hairstyles, mm-hmm. uh, be that dreadlocks, be that braids, be that whatever they choose to have as a hairstyle, that they are allowed to have those hairstyles at school, at work, and all different kinds of places. So that's, something that a lot of people didn't think would pass. And that the governor uh, signed that was another thing. I mean, people were trying to make this a political issue. It started in, you know, this particular bill started Barbers Hill ISD, where they didn't allow this young man with dreads to attend the prom or graduation uh, and started this piece of legislation. It didn't pass last time, but this time it got to the governor's desk and the governor signed it, uh, Jason, which was amazing to me. Exactly right. Yeah, and people have to remember that in Texas, the governor doesn't have to sign a bill for it to become law. He can veto it, but it's, we don't have you know a pocket veto here, which means he just doesn't do anything. If he doesn't do anything in Texas, or she, if the governor is a woman, the bill simply does become law. Yeah. But he affirmatively did sign that bill, which I think you know is something that is deserving of praise, and I think people across Texas can celebrate after a pretty hard legislative session where we didn't necessarily focus on the importance of diversity in, in mm-hmm. our schools, for example, yeah. there is something positive that happened in that regard. Uh, also, something that, you know, again, the Children at Risk was really involved in this session was the passage of some pretty interesting human trafficking legislation. Hmm. As we see in most sessions, there was a, there was a move, you know, Senator, Senator Huffman from Houston yep. uh, was able to pass and file and pass uh, an omnibus bill related to human trafficking, which we don't have time to get into today, but right. it does kind of is sweeping in terms of both the identification and the prosecution and enhancing some criminal penalties and just making sure that a uh, Texas is continuing to be at the lead in the fight against human trafficking. Something else of interest around trafficking this session that passed, uh, concern that, you know, that you all, that you personally, Bob, worked on quite a bit, was uh, Texas becoming the very first state in the country to, to really take action on rideshare companies mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. human trafficking. Yeah. Understanding that companies like Uber, which is almost 90% of the rideshare market in Texas, right. they don't want their service, they don't want their product to be misused. But the reality is when you put something like an app-based rideshare program out there, there are going to be scuzz bags who will take advantage of it. And there were reports coming in to, to children at risk staff 
uh, from law enforcement across Texas expressing concern about the fact that there had been instances where children, underage people under the age of 18, were being transported uh, for very you know, nefarious purposes. And the legislature, uh, in some ways, you know, a lot of people were surprised that the legislature passed that because what the legislature was doing was creating a new business regulation. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that Uber, as a company, really did a solid this session and really went out of their way to to help pass that bill. There was obviously a bill was amended along the way, as all bills are. The final version of the bill requires that the training be offered to mm-hmm. all Uber drivers when they become an Uber driver and subsequently sporadically throughout their their term, you know, it's regular scheduled intervals throughout their term as a as a driver. But I, uh, I, you would think that, and you know, Uber would fight something like that. Well, I think and what was really good about this, go what was really good, Jason, is that um, uh, everyone worked. It's sort of like the way politics should be, right? Everyone right. worked together to create a win-win. So uh, Uber and children at risk and the state legislature said, how do we make this work so that we right. benefit kids and families? And I think that's what happened. As we run out of time, uh, Jason, here, if you had to pick one other good piece that you would point to, what would it be? I tell you, the thing that I'm kind of most excited, and I'll be honest, a little bit nervous and anxious about, the Houston Chronicle highlighted bills like yeah. last week, the yeah. five bills that were under the radar that have the biggest potential impact in changing the state of Texas. One thing that I think we could all be very proud of is when we go to the ballot, because everyone listening here is going to go to the ballot box in November, because remember, one in 30 Texans will go to the ballot in November to vote on constitutional amendments. And there will be the opportunity for Texans to vote on a constitutional amendment to reduce property taxes for child care providers who are participating in the state system for low-income children coming from working families. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a huge opportunity to have a big ripple effect. Child care centers are having a hard time paying their property taxes, yeah. and if we can reduce the property tax burden, including on child care centers that lease their facilities, they can hopefully pass those savings along to their to the families that are paying high high premium dollar for quality child care and also increase the wages and compensation for the child care workforce. It's a great thing. Look for it on the ballot in yeah. November. We're going to talk more about that over the next couple of weeks and over the next Exciting. couple of months because this is uh, going to be a, a big thing. And it's a way for people to go and vote and support uh, more engagement in child care. All right? this, is, this is a big issue for families in our state. And, and whatever it's we can win. do, this is a, another win for it's families. It's a huge issue. And it is, yeah. it's the first time child care has ever appeared on the statewide ballot yeah. in Texas. Jason Sabo. Our man in Austin, under the dome. Thanks, Jason, for all you do. Thanks for being on Growing Up in America. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Beatles there for you, Claire. That's your favorite band, isn't it? Right after Taylor, it's Taylor Swift. And the Beatles. Uh, I don't know where you got that statistic, but maybe it's in the top (laughs) five. That's a good piece of data. (laughs) So uh, you're listening to Growing Up in America on KPFT. It's uh, Claire Dutre and Dr. Bob. Uh, And up next, Kevin Hattery is with us. He's the CEO of Boys and Girls Club of Greater Houston. Kevin, how you doing, man? Good afternoon, Dr. Bob and Claire. It's a pleasure to join you all today. And it's great to have you. And for those people who may not know what boys and girls clubs do in our city, give them the lowdown, Kevin, because you guys are one of the great so institutions in our state. Yeah, well, well thank you for the opportunity, again, to, to speak and, and just share with everybody. We have 25 different locations in the greater Houston region providing fun, safe places for children to go to in the out-of-school time setting and so that means right now we're going all day because it is summer yeah. and then during the summer it's it's after school and we're providing also all sorts of supports like uh, health and wellness um uh 
physical um, activity, uh, academic engagement, and, and family support. So we're a holistic organization serving young people and their families, uh, specifically in communities that don't have resources. So, and, and, and how much does it cost a kid to go to the Boys and Girls yeah. School? This is my favorite statistic of all that you're going to mention, <laughs> Kevin. What's How much does it cost yeah, a child? That's a great, great question. And because we are located in communities that just – our child care deserts for all intents yeah. and purposes. And I should say it's it's uh, 6 to 8, 17 that we serve, so K through 12 that we're serving. Yep. We just charge $10 for the, the school year and 25 in the summer because we're open all day. So <laughs> economic guess. terms, that's less than – that's about a half a percent of our entire – $10 budget. in the school year, year, $25 in the summer. It's that's just, cheaper than Netflix. Yeah, it, it is cheaper than <laughs> yeah. Netflix. And so uh, I know – we never say who should do, where we should donate, but can people just like say, "Hey, I want to pay for five kids and stuff like that" when they mm-hmm. donate to you guys? Yeah, yeah. It, it, there's a, a space on our website at uh, bgcgh.org, and mm-hmm. it allows you to donate, and you can indicate that's what you'd like it to yeah, go to. Very good. And I know you mentioned, yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, it's exciting. I know you mentioned um, just the overall effect that the Boys and Girls Club has on child wellness. Can you just highlight, because for 1025, it's not just what people may think of as an after-school program um, or just an after-school program where it's somewhere to go, but more so it catches a lot of the child's needs. Yeah, absolutely. When when we do our our, our self-reporting, we call it our National Youth Outcome um, Initiative. And, and so nine out of 10 youth that come to our clubs are on grade level. Um, nine out of 10 teens are expected to graduate. Three out of five youth are physically active five or more times um, out of the week, and three out of four youth show leadership within their club. So that's that, that holistic element being a comprehensive um, place for kids to continue to develop outside the school setting. Yeah, that is awesome. Nine out of 10, ready for the next grade level. Kevin, what, what does it what does it do for a child? Um, and, you know, we just had Layla talk about the fact that 65% of our school kids or kids in our schools are coming from low-income households. When, when you look at those 65%, and we know that time on academic tasks is important, the amount of time that they spend doing uh, stuff that's related to academics, that's, that's Boys and Girls Club. So when you're in an after-school program at Boys and Girls Club or you're in a summer program full-time at Boys and Girls Club – what does that do for a child academically? Yeah, well, and, and clearly what we're seeing because of, of the pandemic, there is a need to accelerate the type of ex, – have accelerated yeah. learning um, because of the loss. And we're, we're all very familiar with the fact that there's summer loss. Well, there's also the pandemic loss yeah. now. And so what we do and, and what we've had to learn how to do as well, while we've always provided homework assistance for that, that group of 20 kids that are coming into our, our club, uh, we've also learned and we know that it's necessary to move into smaller groups and even into um, the tutoring at uh, a one to two. So um, yeah. it allows them to, first and foremost, right now, what we're dealing with is, is a catch-up. So if you look at some of the most recent data that came out from the uh, – um, the Kids Count Data Book yeah, from ATC yeah. Foundation. Yeah. Um, we know that we're in a worse situation with eight, eight, eighth graders not proficient in math. We've had a 2% drop in that. Yep. Um, well, actually, it's a for Texas, it's a 6% yeah. um, uh, from two years ago, but we're, we're still trailing the United States by 2%. So there's some ground to make up there, and, and that's where we like to step. It's important for us to step in and help out. Kevin, there's been um – you know, when we look at those the same kids we're talking about, we know that in the state of Texas, 70% of our kids are children of color, 65% low income, uh, you know, third children of immigrants. And I know you worked uh, at Morehouse for a long time and you worked on mm-hmm. diversity issues. And I'm wondering, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when you look at our state and you see this backlash against, uh, you know, doing uh, diversity and inclusion work, how is that going to have an impact on our kids? And we know it won't have – and, and well, how could it have an impact on you guys at Boys and Girls Club? Well, I would just say and to, to level set a little bit, yeah. too, when you look at our, our, our demographics and who we serve, 38% are um, African-American, 31% are Hispanic. So mm-hmm. this is who we are serving. And yeah. and so it's – I think there's two elements here. One's the, the, the social element that we're all 
focus, and I believe a lot of your your listeners, and yeah. as well as your organization, is focused on. But there's also the, the economic imperative. I think that we need to make sure that we're talking about. So those who are in decision making um, and and our stakeholders are saying, well, this is why we need to be working on diversity efforts in our yeah. community because one, we already reflect it. Two, we just have to learn how to manage manage that appropriately. Um, so that we're able to maximize and leverage the diversity that exists here, and and we've talked all talked about this before. If we can figure it out here, then rest of the country is yeah. going to learn how to figure it out because we're the we're the bellwether right here. We, we could do a whole conversation just on this one, I Correct. know. So that's <laughs> yeah. Claire, are you ready to give Kevin our fun five? I am. I am. Do you want me to lead yeah, it off? Yeah, yeah. All right. The first question we have for you is: What was your favorite book to read or be read as a child? Oh boy. Um, well, I was working a lot when I was a child, so because um, I grew up on a family farm. Oh wow! Um, but but I have to say um, the three little pigs because of that. That is a perfect. <laughs> book. How do you like that? <laughs> yeah. No, we don't like that at all. But we'll take it. <laughs> so I led into it. So, uh, Kevin, what did you want to? Did you want to be a farmer when you grew up, or what did you want to be when you were when you were thinking when it was little Kevin thinking on the farm, thinking about what he wanted to be? What was it? What was it you were thinking? Yeah, you know, I. I I believe we all emulate those that are your parents or guardians. And in mm-hmm. my case, it was growing up on a farm. So I wanted to be a farmer, but I'd also add to that. What's led me into my career path is because of youth development organizations, like in, mm. in the case I grew up with was with 4-H. Oh, and, wow. Uh, um, so boys and girls club is very similar in that aspect. It's just in the, in the city, That's so cool. to speak. So, and what actor wow. would play you in the movie of your life? The Kevin Hattery story. It's a big yeah. one in Hollywood. Yeah, from Farm to Boys and Girls Club. Yeah, if I had to pick somebody, it'd be Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner, Mm -hmm. wow, very good. And what was your favorite food as a kid, Kevin? Uh, I think uh, um, as a child, it'd definitely be watermelon. Mm. Oh wow! Yeah, Uh, we we had we had we had big gardens when I grew up, and we had you could just walk out there and grab one and 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 bring it in. So, and the last one is who motivates you in life? Um, I, I. I'd go back to just with my, my family and, yeah. and my parents. Um, and I'm also blessed to have an identical twin brother. So um, mm. as we were growing up, we did all the same things, and there was always somebody there to have healthy competition with. And uh, um, so that's friend. where a lot of my, my motivation came from was, was from my immediate family. Two identical hatteries. Watch out, world. <laughs> wow. Very good. Kevin Hattery is the CEO of Boys and Girls Club here in Houston. Uh, thank you, Kevin, for all you do. want to bring you back on the program at some point in the near future. Let's keep the conversation going. Thank you so much. You bet. Thanks, Claire. Dr. Bob, have a great week. All right. Thank take you care. So much. Growing Up in America on KPFT Pacifica Radio. It's been a great show today, it right? It has. Before we leave, I do want to say our audience said thumbs up to Childicious. So they like the giving parents every everything possible, right? They do. So uh, if you want to continue to vote, you can do that, right? Just Instagram. Every week. Instagram, children at risk. Yes, Instagram story. And then we will be back next Wednesday for another round of polls. And we do this each and every week for, for children. children. See you next time on Growing Up in America. With a dream, my cardigan. Welcome to the land of fame, access. Am I gonna fit in? Jumped in the cab, here I am for the first time. Look to my right, and I see the Hollywood sign. This is all so crazy. Everybody seems so famous. My tummy's turning, and I'm feeling kinda homesick. Too much pressure, and I'm nervous. Cause when the taxi man turned on the radio, and a Jay Z song was on, and a Jay Z song was on. And the Jay-Z song was on So I put my hands up to play my song The butterflies fly away Now in my head like yeah Moving my hips like yeah Got my hands up to play my song You know I'm gonna be okay Yeah It's a party in the USA Yeah It's a party in the USA The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. 
She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you, and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Hey, so what's a great way to spread awareness that driving high is illegal everywhere? A catchy song, of course. You can. 